My name is Benjamin Pace, and you're listening to the No Content Podcast. And if you happen to be a duck listening to this, you're in a safe space. Welcome to the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. I hope you are having a wonderful week so far. And uh, I'm excited about what we're going to be getting into today. The title of today's podcast is Blessed Are the Peacemakers. And I want to talk to you today about the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. There is a difference. There is a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Let me start here. In Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, let me just say this, you know, uh, when we're talking about things that are blessed and that are not blessed, uh, you know, if somebody says, well, you know, um, God, God's blessing is on this thing. His blessing is not on that thing. Well, uh, we're finding out right now what his blessing is on and what it's not on. (laughs) Um, this is a window. Jesus is giving us a, a window into things that are blessed things that are not blessed. Jesus isn't just saying blessed to sound spiritual. <laughs> are, are you listening to me? He's not just saying blessed or blessed just to be, you know, sermony. You know what I mean by that? He just not, he, Jesus didn't speak Christianese. You, you know, he spoke Hebrew, actually, if we're going to be accurate. But, but when he says this is blessed, he means this is blessed. So the blessing belongs to these groups of people. What I mean by that is as not um, groups as in this certain category of a person, but people with these kind of characteristics, people who you find these character qualities in, these are the people that are accompanied by the blessing. And there's a lot of things we could talk about in talking about the blessing, but that's just something I want to point out to you in the beginning that uh, Jesus is calling these people blessed that fit this description. And he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this is the one I want to emphasize to you today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I may as well read just the next few verses. He said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So anybody that gets persecuted for doing what's right. Well, what does that mean? That means doing what God has said to do, doing what God has told them to do, doing what the Bible says to do. People who get persecuted for doing the right thing, there's a blessing on those people. He said, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you 
and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So when you're persecuted for righteousness, for doing the right thing, for his namesake, there's a blessing made available to you. Uh, when you are spoken against for doing what you believe the Lord is leading you to do or what you believe the Bible is telling you to do when it's the right thing, when you're following God, when you're keeping his commandments, and the result is people speaking against you. There's a blessing on you with that that's attached to that. But let's talk a little bit about the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. The first thing I want to say about peacekeeping versus peacemaking is that peacekeeping is passive. But peacemaking is active. I'm going to say that again. Peacekeeping is passive, but peacemaking is active. Um, peacemaking is not just surface level. It's not just dealing with issues on the surface. Uh, it's dealing with issues of the heart. It's dealing with issues of the spirit. Jesus told the Pharisees, you are those who clean the outside of the cup, but you leave the inside filthy. And that's not peacekeeping. I'm sorry, that's not peacemaking. That's peacekeeping. Cleaning the outside of the cup is peacekeeping. But cleaning the inside of the cup is peacemaking. Uh, it's dealing with strife and contention within as well as without. It's actually going to the root of the issue. And, you know, a lot of people will let silent strife go on for years We'll let silent problems go on for years. We'll let silent spiritual issues go on for years and never say a word because they want to, quote-unquote, keep the peace instead of making peace. And I want to give you some examples from Scripture today of people who made peace rather than kept peace. Are you interested? I know I can't hear you say amen, but, I mean, you know, if... if if I could, I would hope that I would. Uh, in Mark 4, verse 35, it says this, uh, talking about Jesus. You know, let me just say this. I like to, as much as possible, I don't always do this, but I like to start and end with Jesus as the example. And, and why is that? Because Jesus is always our ultimate example. I don't always do that, but I always like to, to start and end with Jesus as an example in whatever I'm preaching because he's our ultimate example. And everything else is good and godly, but it's a type and shadow of him. And so he is the one that, that is the clearest image of the Father himself, is Jesus. And so that's why we want to uh, exalt his example over all other examples, even in the Bible. And, and those examples are pointing to him. And so I like to start, I like to end with Jesus, if, if I'm able to. In Mark 4, verse 35, it says, In the same day uh, when the even was come, he said unto his disciples, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. So they're in the middle of this storm. This storm is coming against them. It's beating against their boat. I mean, it's not like they can just pretend this storm's not happening, you know. Uh, it's not happening in a distance. It's not happening far off. 
it's coming against them directly. The waves are crashing against their boat. Water's getting in their boat. So this is their problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the Bible says about Jesus in the middle of this, it says he was in the hinder part or the back part of the ship asleep on a pillow. Jesus was asleep on a pillow in the back part of the ship right in the middle of this storm. What does that tell me? You can stay at rest. You can stay at peace regardless of the storm that's going on around you. If Jesus did it, then he's our example. We can do it. You can be at rest. You can be at peace right in the middle of an absolute hurricane (laughs) of circumstances going on around you, whirling around you. And and, And we see that even though there's all this chaos happening outside, Jesus is at peace on the inside. Now, I'm going somewhere with that, but let me keep reading. It says, they woke him up. And they said unto him, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're about to drown? Don't you care that we're in this storm right now? Don't you care? what? what why are you just asleep when we're going through all this stuff? And what you'll find oftentimes is that when people are struggling or dealing with an ocean of emotion (laughs) or a storm of circumstances and you refuse to get out of rest about it, a lot of times that irritates people. Um, A lot of times people want you to get involved in the chaos with them or they want you to, to partake in it with them. And if you stay at rest, if you stay at peace, if you stay in joy, a lot of times there's some people that can get irritated by that. But what people don't realize is that what we see next is a dir- direct result of what Jesus was doing. The Bible said he was asleep on the pillow, and they said, don't you care that we're dealing with this? And it says he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great, a great calm. What they didn't realize is that if you don't remain at peace yourself, you can never take authority over the storm. Are you listening? Uh, The Lord said it to me like this, I believe in my heart. If you want to calm the storm out there, you have to first calm the storm in your own heart. If you don't remain at peace in the midst of trying circumstances and, and all these things happening out here, then you won't be able to take authority over the storm. If you don't have control over yourself, then how are you going to take authority over the storm by faith? The Bible says that faith is a rest. Those who believe enter into rest. Well, if I'm not at rest, then I'm not in faith. And if I'm not in faith, I can't speak to that storm, peace be still. So before I can speak to the storm, I have to first make sure that the storm inside has been calmed. And so this is why I think it's so important for us to realize that we are not supposed to just partake in everything that other people are doing or saying or what's happening around us. Um, If we want to be able to be in a position to deal with unpleasant circumstances, we have to be willing to stay separate from them. And you don't always have to be a part of everything that's going on. I mean, this is true of strife. You know, uh, strife can only happen if more than one person chooses to partake in it. 
Uh, if you per, if you choose not to partake in strife, then there is no strife. Um, people can be upset, people can be angry, but if you don't partake in it, if you don't join in in the the backbiting and the name calling and the the accusing and the anger and the emotion, then there is no strife. And just because something's happening around you doesn't mean it has to get in you. In Proverbs twenty five twenty eight, it says, "Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down." without walls. In other words, no boundaries. No boundaries. If you don't have rule over your own spirit, then you're not going to have boundaries in your life. So it starts with ruling your own spirit, with ruling your own heart. And you can't make peace in other situations if you don't first remain at peace in your own emotions. Does that make sense? So we'll see an example of this, but uh, I think there's been some confusion when it comes to strife and division and things of that nature. Um, you know, we see a lot of times that uh, the disciples did things and said things and went places, and people got very angry with them, and they got very upset. And in many cases, you know, they threw them out of their synagogue, or they, they tried to kill them, or they did kill them. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't that the disciples went and instigated strife. They were speaking what the Lord told them to speak. But just because somebody responds a certain way does not necessarily mean that what was said wasn't right. Anyway, let, let me, let me uh, move on here. In Matthew twenty one twenty five, it's talking about Jesus. And it says, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king comes meek and sitting upon a donkey and the colt, the fowl of a donkey. It said, your king comes to you meek. So what is it telling us about Jesus? He's meek. Jesus said, I am gentle. I am lowly of heart. Jesus is meek. He is actually our ultimate example of meekness and gentleness and lowliness of heart, humility. But what's interesting is the very next verse, <laughs> well, actually down in verse 12, right after it says this about Jesus, Notice what it says Jesus did. It said, Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Well, that's interesting to me, because the Bible just told us that Jesus is meek. And then the Bible told us that Jesus went into the temple and drove everybody out <laughs> and overturned the tables of the money changers and said, stop making my father's house a marketplace. And then he healed all these people. What are we seeing here? Meekness is not about being non-confrontational. I'm going to say it again. Meekness is not about being non-confrontational. And Jesus in this situation isn't keeping peace, he's making peace. Are you listening? There's an issue, there's a problem in the temple of God, and it's not okay, and it can't keep going on that way. Uh, God's not pleased with it. it uh, there's people being hindered from uh, things happening the right way because of what's happening in the temple, and Jesus goes in, and he makes peace, <laughs> but he didn't keep peace. 
Are you listening to what I'm saying here? Keeping the peace would have been not saying anything, not upsetting the apple cart, not not doing anything, not addressing anything. But Jesus didn't do that. He he didn't keep the peace. He made peace. And again, meekness is not about being non-confrontational. Uh, it's about refusing to allow strife to exist as much as it depends on you. And it's about dealing with things on a deeper level. And, and let me also say this. Meekness is not being passive or elusive. I'm going to say that again. Meekness is not about being passive or elusive. That's not meekness. That's not the way Jesus was. So we know that's not meekness because he is our ultimate example of meekness. Now, the Bible does say that there were times when Jesus hid himself or slipped out of the crowd and slipped away. And there is a time to do that. There is a time when there is circumstances that, you know, people aren't going to listen or there's things that are not right. And it is time to just remove yourself from the situation. Jesus did do that. He's not avoiding confrontation. They wouldn't have listened to him. There was no point in him trying to continue to talk to them if they're about to just stone him. So he just slipped away. He said what the father showed him to say, and then he slipped away. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I'm sure glad it did. (laughs) And so there is a time to do that. And that's not about being elusive, but there is a time to know when you're supposed to remove yourself from the situation. And that's not cowardice either. And a lot of people uh, get into wrong situations because they don't know how to back down. And pride will never back down. Pride will never back down from a situation that is leading uh, nowhere good and, and just allow it to build and build and build and, until something bad happens. No, that's stupid. <laughs> and humility is not afraid to step away. Humility is not afraid to back away. Humility is not afraid uh, to slip away. There is a time to do that, and it's right to do that. And Jesus knew when that time was. Listen, if there were times that Jesus slipped away, there are times you need to slip away. If there are times Jesus removed himself from the situation, then there are times you need to remove yourself from the situation. Amen. Glory to God. Let me let me show you another example, uh, and, and we'll look at something from the Old Testament about somebody who made peace rather than kept peace. In Genesis 13, 7, it says, There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. So there's strife going on between Abraham's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. And it says, And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled there in the land. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray you, between me and you. And between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren, is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself, I pray you, from me. If you will take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you will depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, what is happening here? Abraham saw a situation in which strife is happening between the shepherds, and it wasn't being dealt with. It wasn't being addressed. It was going on. It was perpetual. And the implication is is that Lot wasn't doing anything about it. Lot was allowing it to just continue and go on. And finally, Abraham said, okay, we can't have this. 
We can't have this strife. This can't keep going on. We have to deal with this strife. And what is happening here is Abraham is making peace. Keeping the peace would have been not saying anything. Just, well, they'll they'll work it out. They'll figure it out. We're just not going to say anything. We're just going to let it kind of just work itself out. No, Abraham said, no, no, no. We can't have this strife. And so he went to Lot and he said, listen, Lot, we can't have this strife. Uh, What do we need to do? What do we need to do to deal with this situation? You, You go that way. I'll go this way. Separate yourself from me. Now, what's interesting about this is Lot had an opportunity here to humble himself and to say, hey, no, I don't want to, I don't want to separate from you. I don't want to do that. No, let, let's work something out. Let's meet each other halfway. You know, I can sell some cows. I can do what, what do we need to do? But Abraham knew that something had to change. And there is a time where if there is an absolute refusal to change in a thing or to, to meet somebody halfway, then there has to be some separation. Now, that's not ideal, and that's not what I believe the Lord wants in every situation, and yet the strife can't go on. Do you understand? The strife can't go on. In some cases, there may need to be a separation. Now, in many cases, that happens when one party refuses to cease from strife. And you have no choice but to say, okay, listen, we got to separate, and, and, and I, I, you know, I love you, I bless you, but we can't have this strife. Do you see that? Now, th- now again, I don't believe it was God's will for Lot to have left Abraham. He had an opportunity here, but Abraham is not the one who's perpetuating the strife. He's saying, listen, we can't have this. Separate yourself from me. And so Lot did, and he took the best land, and, and there was a separation there. And you see that there, there were some things that happened in Lot's life as a result of that that wouldn't have happened if they had stayed together. But the problem wasn't Abraham. <laughs> the problem was the tolerating of strife. And Abraham, instead of just letting it go, acting like nothing was happening, he made peace in the situation. Do you see that? And Abraham did everything he could do to bring peace. And there are times when you're endeavoring to be at peace, but other people don't want to be at peace. And the only answer, at least at the moment, is separation. Uh, Look at this in Proverbs 25, 24. It says, It's better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Now, that's not just talking about a husband and a wife necessarily. This could apply to anybody, and it could apply to a man or a woman or a son or a daughter or a grandma or a grandpa or anybody. But dwelling with a brawling person. The Bible says it's better to be in the corner of the housetop than to be in a big white house with somebody who's looking for a fight. In uh, James chapter 3, let's go over there. It's uh, it's talking about the tongue, and it makes mention of the untamed tongue. And look at what it says here, uh, starting in verse 7. It says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and things in the sea is tamed, but and has been tamed of man, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison." 
What, what, what is this? A, a tongue that's not tamed is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. What is, what is an untamed tongue? That means things are coming out of your mouth that you are not thinking about and filtering and examining before they come out of your mouth. <laughs> and it says when that's happening, it's an unruly evil and it's full of deadly poison. Now, I don't believe James is just being poetic here. Um, words can be poisonous. And, you know, just because something is sharp doesn't mean it's poisonous. The Bible talks about how the Word of God is sharp, and it divides between soul and spirit. Well, there are times that God speaks words that cut us to our heart, and they don't feel nice. <laughs> and But they're actually healthy, and it's good. But what this is talking about is a tongue that is not tamed, a tongue that is not controlled, a, a tongue that is allowed to just roam free, roam wild. <laughs> and it says it's full of deadly poison. So spiritually, an untamed, an undisciplined tongue can minister spiritual poison to people. He goes on to say, Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. He said, My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Now, you see what he's comparing here when he talks about the spiritual effect of the tongue he, he said it can either be sweet water or bitter water. Bitter. Have you ever, have you ever tasted something bitter before? <laughs> like coffee without sugar or cream? He said sweet water and bitter water can't come out of the same fountain. And he said, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? He said, so no fountain both yields salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works, watch this, with the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. What did the Bible tell us about Jesus? He's meek. And he goes on to say, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart. Now, a huge part of this is what's happening in the heart. He said, if you've had have, you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. Don't act like this isn't in your heart. In other words, we need to deal with what's in your heart. <laughs> True peacemaking is dealing with what's in the heart. And God knows that. That's, that's what Jesus did. He always dealt with the heart of the issue. He goes on to say, this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Another translation says demonic. And he said, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now let me point this out to you. He said where envying and strife is, in that place there is confusion and every evil work. What's he talking about? In the place where strife is being tolerated, in the place where strife is being manifested, in that environment, 
there is confusion. There is every evil work in that environment where that place is manifesting strife, where that's being tolerated, there's confusion, there's every evil work. What, what does that tell you about an environment in which strife is not tolerated? There's peace. There's clarity. There's an ability to get wisdom from above. Do you see that? But you can't receive wisdom in an environment where strife is perpetuated. Now, that doesn't mean God can't give you wisdom in the midst of circumstances around you. But if you're always around strife, if you're always around these things, now again, God gives us grace to be where we're supposed to be, and we can't control what everybody does. And we can still have peace in the midst of the storm like Jesus did. But there's still something to be said about this. The environment you're in matters. The environment you are constantly in and around matters because when there's strife being tolerated in that environment, there is confusion (laughs) in that place. And so there are times when you've got to step away from that environment so that you can receive the meekness of wisdom. He goes on to say, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That's what I wanted to emphasize to you. This, this wisdom that he's referring to, the wisdom of God, this meek wisdom. It's sown in peace of them that make peace. And it's gentle. It's easy to entreat. It's not hard to talk to. It's, it's willing to yield. It doesn't have partiality. It's not taking sides. It's not playing favorites. It's not being influenced by, by this thing or that thing or this preference or that preference. It's not full of hypocrisy. There's no deception. There's no lying. That's the wisdom that's from above. And it's sown of, in peace of them that make peace. Do you see how making peace is connected with dealing with the heart of the issue? And so if that's the case, uh, the question can come up, well, then the meekness of wisdom should always produce peaceful circumstances, right? Well, not necessarily. (laughs) And I'll give you an example of what I mean. But sowing peace into a situation, uh, seeds don't take root overnight. Are you listening? Seeds don't take root overnight. Uh, Seeds don't grow overnight. When you sow something, then you're planting it, and over time it's going to grow into the thing you want it to be. Well, when you sow peace into a situation by receiving the meekness of wisdom, uh, over time it can produce and should produce the right result, but not immediately. And sometimes, initially, there can be some pushback. Let me explain to you what I mean. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. It says, And they disputed with Stephen. And watch this. It says, They were not able to resist the what? The wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. It says, Then they suburned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And watch this. 
and the and the people they the these people that were talking to them it says they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. What, what are they doing here? They're twisting what was said. They're making it sound like Stephen is threatening to tear down a physical building, to destroy a physical building. And that's not what he was saying. But that's what they heard. That's what they took. And they're repeating it, but they're, they're, they're slanting it. They're spinning it. And it said... Uh, and all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. And, and I, I'm going to keep reading here because I want to point something out to you. The Bible said he spoke wisdom from above. Well, what do we know about the wisdom that's from above? It's pure. It's peaceful. It's gentle. It's full of good fruits. It's without partiality, without hypocrisy. And yet, we see that, that Stephen spoke this peace, I'm sorry, spoke this wisdom into this situation because it had to be the same kind of wisdom because that's what godly wisdom is. That's what wisdom from above is. But it says that they stirred up the people because of what Stephen had said. Stephen didn't stir up the people. They stirred up the people. And watch this over in chapter 7, verse 54. You know, Stephen went on to preach this whole sermon and it said, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. See, like I said, there's a difference between words that are sharp and cut to the heart and words that are full of deadly poison. Uh, Stephen's not speaking uh, unruly words that are full of deadly poison. He's receiving wisdom from the Holy Spirit, and yet the Bible says it cut them to the heart, and the response was that they gnashed on him with their teeth. (laughs) But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And it says that before he died, the last thing he did was look up to heaven and say, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. What we see is that in the midst of all this stuff coming against Stephen, he never stepped out of love. And yet, this was the response to what he said. So making peace in a situation does not always mean that people react pleasantly (laughs) or people are happy with you. Uh, We see that there are times Paul spoke and the response from the crowd was they ripped their clothes and they threw dust in the air and they tried to kill him. And there were times this happened with Jesus. Why am I saying this to you? Because peacemaking is not always about pleasing people or people being happy with you. That's peacekeeping. Peacekeeping will keep things status quo on the surface, but peacemaking is speaking to the heart of the issue, dealing with the heart of the thing. Uh, another example of this is Esther in the, in the Old Testament. Esther, uh, you know, she's made queen instead of Vashti. And, you know, Haman is the king's right-hand man, and he has this whole plot and this whole thing in which he is going to destroy the Jews. And 
he signs this edict into order that all the Jews are going to be killed on this certain day. And Mordecai goes to Esther and he says, look, you've got to intercede for us. You've got to go before the king, even though that's not allowed. And you've got to intercede for us. And at first, Esther's like, I can't do that. Like, I can't go before the king. Like, I could, I could die. I could get in trouble. She was intimidated. She was scared to go before the king. But look at what Mordecai said to Esther. He said, don't think with yourself that you will escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if you all together, watch this, hold your peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, what's happening here? Esther has a choice between peacekeeping or peacemaking. And peacekeeping says, just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Just don't, don't, get involved. Just leave it alone. Now, there are some things you should not get involved in that are none of your business. That's not what we're talking about here. The Bible says to mind your own business. But this was something that concerned Esther and that she was the only one that could have addressed this. If she didn't do it, you know, who else was going to do it? Now, he said, God will deliver us some other way, but you're going to perish if you don't do this. Why? Because God puts you here for just such an occasion as this. This is why you're here. And she had a choice to make between peacekeeping and peacemaking. And, you know, things can go on month after month and year after year and are never dealt with because people aren't bold enough in love to deal with it, to address it, to face it. And that's what Esther was dealing with, this struggle between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Making peace means the issue is dealt with from the root. And it's uprooted and it's gotten out. And there's true peace from the inside out. Another example of this is Paul in Galatians. We see that Paul uh, is, is a peacemaker, but he wasn't a peacekeeper. There's a difference. We're looking at people who made peace instead of kept peace. Instead of keeping peace, they made peace. In Galatians 2 verse 11, it says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now, uh, you'll hear this podcast soon. I did with my friend Elijah Merle called Who's in Charge Here? And this is something in that podcast that Elijah brought out that there is a difference between accusing and withstanding. There's a difference between accusing people and withstanding people. Now, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And anytime we're yielding to a spirit of accusation against somebody else, something's wrong. And that's not what Paul's doing here. The Bible says he withstood Peter to his face. Paul didn't go behind Peter's back and talk about him to everybody. Paul didn't, uh, you know, rebuke Peter or call him names or accuse him, but he withstood him to his face. It says, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision. So, so what's happening here? Peter is changing things because he wants to please people. Peter's trying to keep the peace. Oh, come on. Do you see that? Peter's trying to keep the peace, and Paul is making peace. Mm-mm-mm. Come on. Peter is doing one thing over here and saying one thing over here, but when these people come around, he's acting different. He's talking different. Because he don't want to offend them. He doesn't want to rock the boat. 
He doesn't want anybody to get mad and upset. He's trying to keep the peace. But what's happening? There's hypocrisy in this. And what did the Bible tell us about the wisdom of God? It's without hypocrisy. And Paul's calling him out on it. Paul is saying, listen, bro. <laughs> he, he calls him out. He withstands him to his face. And it says, uh, the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And it says, when I saw that, watch this, they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? What's happening here? Paul saw that Peter was not being straightforward. He's not being straightforward. He's saying one thing over here. He's doing one thing over here and saying another thing with this. And there's a double standard here. And Paul is calling him on it. He's addressing it. He's saying, listen, let's just get real about this. Let's stop the pretending. Let's stop playing games. Let's just talk about this. Let's address this. Let's make peace. Now, Paul could have backed off and said, you know, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to offend Peter. You know, he was with Jesus. You know, he's been here longer than me. I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody. But he withstood him. And I believe he did it in love. I believe he did it in honor. I don't believe he rebuked Peter or accused him or brought a railing accusation against him. But he withstood him. He made peace in the situation. He didn't keep the peace. He made peace. Let me read this to you in Proverbs 22.10. It says, Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. I'm going to read that again. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Um, strife will never cease in an environment where the spirit of scoffing is tolerated. I'm going to say that again. Strife will not cease in an environment where the spirit of scoffing is tolerated. What is scoffing? Well, to scoff means to scorn to mock, to deride, uh, you could say to express contempt or ridicule, to despise something or to bring it low. That's what scoffing is, scoffing. And when that is tolerated, there's always going to be strife in that environment. Because he said if you'll cast out the scoffer, the strife will cease. Now, now when we're talking about this, we're not talking about casting out a person, <laughs> but the spirit of scoffing. When that's being tolerated, strife is always going to exist. But as soon as you cast out the scoffing spirit, the strife will cease. So what's causing the strife? The scoffing. The spirit of the scoffer is what is perpetuating the strife. And if you'll deal with the spirit of it, you see what I'm saying here? If you'll go to the root and you'll deal with the spirit, then the Bible says the strife will cease. we got to watch out for this scoffing spirit. We got to watch out for this this scorning. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm one, "Blessed is he who does not sit in the seat of the scornful." Do you see that? God's not a fan of this scorning. Um, I might make some more mention of this uh, in another podcast I'm going to do soon about uh, humor and how Christians should approach humor. But let me show you an example in the Old Testament of what I mean by this. And this is an example of somebody who 
made peace rather than kept peace and who had to endure some scoffing in order to do it. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 20, David rose up early in the morning and let the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the whole army battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spoke according to the same words. And the Bible says, and David heard them. Now, what's interesting about this is that before nothing happened. Before David got there, this giant was coming out there day after day after day after day and doing what? Scoffing. Mm-mm-mm. I didn't see that till just now. That's not even what I was going to refer to, but I just saw that. What was happening? Goliath is scoffing at Israel. He's scoffing at God. He's despising them. He's belittling them. What is he? He is the spirit of the scoffer in this instance, in this example. And this is being tolerated. This is being allowed to perpetuate. Let me keep reading. It says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And so David is inquiring about this. And watch this. The Bible says that Eliab, his eldest brother, heard him when he spoke unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why did you come here? And who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart, for you are come down that you might see the battle. And David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? So what we see here is that Eliab is scoffing at David because David is coming to make peace. See, beforehand, nobody had the courage to face up to Goliath. Everybody's walking on eggshells. Oh, shh, shh, don't, 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 don't talk too loud. No, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. If somebody, if somebody says something too loud about the Philistines, they're like, shh, shh, don't, no, 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 no. Don't just, let's just keep the peace. Let's just keep the peace. Let's just keep the peace. And, and the reality of it is that they were afraid. And the scoffer is being tolerated. And what's interesting is that we see the scoffing of Goliath is starting to get into Eliab. Are you listening to me? Because the scoffing of Goliath is being tolerated, now it's starting to get into the men. And that same spirit of scoffing, because it's being tolerated, is now getting into Eliab. And you hear the accusation in his voice against David. Why? Because David has come to say, hey, whoa, hold on. We don't need to tolerate this anymore. Let's deal with this situation. David is not a peacekeeper David is a peacemaker. Oh, come on. Do you see that? David said, we're not going to have this anymore. We're getting rid of the scoffer. Oh, come on. Come on. He's dealing with the root of the issue. And God used David to come and make peace in the situation. And so you see that this scoffing spirit 
is something that is perpetuating strife, and it, it even comes against people who want to make peace, or people who desire peace, or people who want to do what God has called them to do, or, or have faith in what God has called them to do, or talk about their vision, or talk about what's in their heart, and there's a scoffing at it. There's a, there's a belittling of it. It's a wrong spirit, and as long as that's being tolerated, strife will not cease. So what needs to be done? Peace needs to be made, not kept. Because peace can be kept and the scoffer still be at work. But if you'll cast out the scoffer, then peace will come. Do you see that? True peace. Now let me, let me address this here just in the last few moments of this podcast. Uh, Proverbs 16.7 says this, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, I, I've heard some people preach this, and the implication is if you do what God tells you to do, and if you're pleasing to God, then everybody's going to be happy with you. And that, you know, even, even the, your enemies will be happy with you, and there won't be any tension, and there won't be any friction. And listen, I'm sorry, but that's not, that's not true. And how do I know it's not true? Because nobody pleased God more than Jesus. Jesus said, I always do those things that please my Father. And nobody's ways pleased God more than Jesus. And were his enemies always happy with him? No, your enemies will never be happy with you because if they were happy with you, then they wouldn't be your enemies anymore. (laughs) And he didn't say he makes his enemies no longer his enemies. He said he makes his enemies be at peace with him. What are we talking about here? Uh, Jesus had a lot of enemies and a lot of people who were not happy with him. And he had friction with a lot of people. And yet nobody's ways pleased God more than his. So what is, what is this referring to? Well, it says he makes them be at peace. Uh, this phrase could also mean he causes them to be silent. We see this throughout the scripture that God silenced the enemies. Uh, He caused them to hold their peace. Let me give you an example of what I mean from the life of Jesus. Matthew 22, 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, uh, Who do you, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. He said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And the Bible says that no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. What did the Bible say about Stephen? They couldn't resist the wisdom. Let me say it to you like this. The meekness of Jesus' wisdom made them be silent. It made them hold their peace. In other words, God caused Jesus' enemies to be silent, to hold their peace, to be at peace with him. It doesn't mean they were happy with him. It doesn't mean they liked him. It meant that they were silenced. 
<laughs> See, it doesn't make sense to say that if my ways please the Lord, everybody's going to be happy with me if that wasn't the case with Jesus. I mean, Jesus had many, many enemies and many people who hated him and wanted him dead and eventually did kill him. <laughs> Paul had enemies. I mean, you, you take any example in the Bible of somebody whose ways pleased the Lord, and they had somebody that didn't like them. Why? Because that's not what that verse is referring to. But if you'll do what pleases God in a situation, then God will fight for you. God will be your defender. God will be the one who takes the part with you against the enemy. Do you see that? That's what that means. Uh, look at this in Psalm 63, verse 11. It says, But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Now, again, don't just hear this through the filter of people. You know, you, you, you can get off in that. Uh, we're dealing with the root of the thing. True peacemaking is not surface level, it's root level. And the spirit of a thing, the spirit of the scoffer, the spirit that's not right, dealing with the heart of the issue, dealing with strife and envy and bitterness in the heart. That's what we're talking about. That's what it means to truly make peace. And when it says here that the mouths of liars shall be stopped, let me say it to you like this. Uh, if you deal with the heart of the issue, if you cast out the spirit of the scoffer and your ways are pleasing to the Lord, then the father of lies will be silenced. Come on, are you listening to me? We're not just talking about people or, or dealing with people. The father of lies will be silenced. The father of lies will have to hold his peace. Why? Because the scoffer has been cast out. Because the spirit of the issue has been dealt with. Because peace has not been kept, but made. Come on, do you see that? Let me just say this last thing to you. When Jesus went to his hometown, in Nazareth, and he went into the, the synagogue, and there were all these people that knew him and grew up with him. Uh, the Chosen did a really good job of, of capturing this moment. But he went in there, and he began to open up to them the scriptures, and to read to them Isaiah, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Bible said that they were shocked by his words. Well, what were they shocked by? His wisdom. Oh, come on. They were shocked by the meekness of wisdom. But you know what their response was to it? Their response was, who is this that speaks like this? Is this not the son of Joseph? Is this not the carpenter's son? What's happening here? They scoffed at him. They scoffed at him. And the Bible says that they took him to the brow of a hill to cast him off and kill him. Why? Because he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus is speaking words from the father. He's speaking what the father is showing him to do and telling him to do. And their response was to scoff at him and to come against him. And you hear this in that tone, oh, who do you think you are, Jesus? Listen, Jesus, I was at your circumcision. Okay, oh, yeah, okay, you're Mr. Anointed all of a sudden. Okay, sure, Jesus. Yeah, I watched you grow up, okay? Don't, don't talk about being anointed with me. 
What is that? That's scoffing. That's scoffing. It's a wrong spirit. And you want to guard against that. But what did Jesus do in response to that? The Bible says he passed through the midst of them and went his way. Jesus didn't stop doing what he was anointed to do just because people came against him. And he spoke the words that needed to be spoken. The Bible says that his word does not return to him void. Now, that doesn't mean everybody received it. But he, what did he do? He sowed a seed. <laughs> he sowed a seed of peace. He, 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 he sowed peace with them that make peace. Because he spoke the wisdom of God. And some people may have received it. Some people may not have. But he went there for a reason. And he said that for a reason. Now, this is the way I see that. You know, if a minister is speaking to a crowd and he, he's preaching the word and he's reading verses, the Bible says the word doesn't return void. That doesn't mean that everybody there is going to receive the word and that it's going to produce because Jesus said the word is sown on four types of ground and only one type received. But you know what? I believe that is showing to us that in every crowd, there's always somebody who's good ground. There's always somebody in that crowd with whom the word will not return void. Now, the Bible says it doesn't return void ever, and it doesn't. It accomplishes its mission. But that doesn't mean that the person was good ground and they received it. But if Jesus came to this place and spoke these words, he sowed a seed to the heart of them. He preached the truth. He spoke the truth. And then he went his way. He slipped away. Do you see that? He slipped away. He didn't stand there and argue with them. He didn't stand there and fight with them and try to defend himself and explain himself and all this stuff. No, he spoke what the Lord told him to speak, and then he slipped away, having sowed the seed of peace with them that make peace. Do you see that? Glory to God. There is a big difference between being a peacekeeper and being a peacemaker. Listen, if you've never given your life to Jesus. I don't know who this podcast is going to go to this week. I don't know who it's going to go to years from now, but I feel impressed to give anybody who has never made Jesus the Lord of their life an opportunity. And listen, it's easy to keep things status quo. It's easy to just keep doing what you've been doing your whole life. But listen, Jesus wants to change your heart and he wants to make peace on the inside of you. And if you will open yourself up to him, if you'll just repent and say, Lord, I want you in my life. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you are the one that can save me and the only one that can save me. And I receive that salvation and that cleansing blood. If you'll do that from your heart, Jesus will make peace from the inside out, inside of you. He will come into your temple and he will drive out all the things that shouldn't be there. And he will plant peace on the inside of you. And it will grow and grow and grow until you look more and more like him. And that's true peace. That's true peace. Not a surface level peace. And listen, uh, believers, uh, it's easy to want to keep the peace by not speaking the truth to other people. Now, you don't want to just preach at people and come against them. But you got to watch out about this peacekeeping thing with your coworkers and with your family members and with all these other things. Now, now you're not necessarily all the, always the one that needs to talk to people. Uh, if you know they won't receive it from you, then you can ask God to send laborers across their path to speak into their life. But beware of this peacekeeping thing, this stepping on eggshells, this fear of man. That's not, that's not what we are called to. That's not why we are here. And the Lord will give you words to speak into people's lives. 
And it may be uncomfortable sometimes. It may be a little bit awkward. But if you'll speak it in love, if you'll speak it in faith, it's sowing a seed for somebody else to come and water. And God is the one who gives the increase. I just want to encourage you today. Don't be a peacekeeper. Be a peacemaker. Because Jesus said it's the peacemakers who are the true children of God. Glory to God. This has been the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. I hope you got something out of this today, and I'll talk to you the next time you click play. Thanks again for listening to the No Content Podcast. Remember that Jesus loves you, he loves everyone else, and please don't forget to feed the ducks.